Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. And the topic I want to talk about this week is something I'm very passionate about. I'm trying my best to slow down because normally when I get excited, I sound like a jackrabbit on crack. So I will keep it as slow as possible. But this is a topic I'm really passionate about because it's something I've struggled with. It's something that a lot of people I've ministered with have struggled with. So the question for the day, if you go to the next line then, is how do we live the victory life in Christ? How do we live a victory life in Christ? Well, I first forgot to find what does that mean to live a victory life in Christ. And I couldn't thank Pastor Lynn more for what he preached on last week. If you go to the next slide, Lynn. Uh, Pastor Lynn's been preaching through the book of Romans for the past couple of weeks. And we've made it through seven chapters or partway through seven chapters. But he brought out a point last week. He said, we are dead to the law. We are free from the law. But what are we slaves to now? Anybody remember? You didn't know he was getting pop quizzes. What, what, are, we, what are we bonded to? What are we slaves to now? Speak it louder. We're, we're, it's free here. <laughs> to Jesus Christ himself. He said we're married. He poked a little joke about men being slaves in a marriage, right? But we're married to Jesus Christ. And that got me thinking. And after talking about it this week with a co-worker, he came up with this illustration. And I said, all right, you get to use your imagination here. Everybody pitch it, right? We're in this gorgeous church. And we got all these nice decorations. And I'm up there in my penguin suit up on an altar, Right? And all the family's there, and we're all so happy, and everybody's happy to be here. And here comes my beautiful wife, Sabrina. She makes her way down the aisle, flowing gown. She's just radiating happiness, right? Everybody's so happy. And we get up on the altar, and we exchange some words, some lovey-dovey looks, and we put rings on each other's fingers, right? And we now pronounce you man and wife, presenting Mr. and Mrs. Powell. Woohoo! Everybody's so happy. And as we go out the door, there's some bird seed or some bubbles or whatever else is going on, right? And I get in one car, and my wife gets in another. A little different. What happens if she goes one direction and I drive off a completely separate direction? If I'm on my agenda and she's on a completely different agenda? Would you say that's a unified marriage? What if we stop seeing each other and we don't even talk to each other anymore? Is that a unified marriage? Absolutely not. Are they married? By the covenant and the promise they made with God, yes. But by any sort of unification or relationship, right? Impossible. So what I want to talk about today is how do we live in union, in unity with Christ? And what I'm going to preach on, our key verse is going to come out of Galatians 2, verse 20. Uh, if you've been in churches for a while, it's pretty common. I think I have an old ratty t-shirt with it printed on the back or something. It says... I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. <laughs> I love Galatians, by the way. And if any of you are nerds like me, and you actually get some sick thrill out of dissecting Scripture and going back into the Greek, it is a very complicated text. This is a very difficult section to dissect. And since nobody packed their lunches and we don't want to be here all day, we're not going to do the whole verse. But what I do want to focus on is the easy part. If you go to the next slide, four little words. It says, Christ lives in me. 
And literally straight from the Greek, you know what that means? It's kind of hard to grasp for a second. It literally means you're looking at a person in which another man literally lives. Another person literally lives in me. And I'm reading this going, wow, how cool is that? What does that mean? Right? See, the fact is, guys, a Christ that is not in you is a Christ that's not yours. If he doesn't live inside you, you don't have Jesus. A Christ that is not inside our church is a Christ that we don't have as a church, as a body of believers. See, the good news is I do have Jesus in me. I gave my life over to Jesus Christ and committed to him a few years back. Actually, I'm getting old, so I ain't going to tell you how long ago. So back in the summer of 99, I gave my life to Christ. And it's been a whirlwind of a ride. See, Jesus says we have eternal life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not the way to life, not the way to truth. He said he is the truth. He is the life. But the problem is, many of us walk around day to day and we don't feel like we have life abundant. We don't feel like Jesus is living through us and living abundantly in us. And so I want to talk about it today. To help me explain this and illustrate this point, I've invited a friend of mine to church. The, uh, this friend's originally from China. Okay, He's a new believer. Uh, he currently resides in Catawba County, actually, uh, really close to where I live. And being the super spiritual Christians that we are, uh, and at this church, right? We're going to help him today. And if you don't mind, are you willing to help this Christian grow in his faith with Christ? This means yes, this means no. Right? So today I want to talk about, I kind of want to illustrate this point by helping my friend in his walk with Jesus. So without further ado, this is my friend. The glove, adequately named. It's a simple glove. I mean, it's got some dirt, a few picks on it for where I've used it and stuff. I mean, it's, you can buy it at pretty much Home Depot or Lowe's or any hardware store that you want to buy it. And just for the sake of argument, let's say that he is my new friend. He's a new Christian. I'm going to help him. I'm going to disciple this guy. And we're going to judge this victory life, how good of a disciple we are, by how he can follow God's command. In this case, God told him to pick up the Bible. Would anybody disagree that reading the Word of God is pretty important? Pretty important to actually pick up the book and actually look in his word. So today I want to walk through a couple common things that we do to get new believers to live for Christ. Let's see. Hmm. What might I do to get somebody to live for Christ? Let me think about it. Let me think about it. I know. This is simple. I might tell him to go pick up the book. Right? You want to tell someone to live for Christ? You want to tell them that God is the way? So point number one, the first thing I might try is say, Hey, glove. Pick up the book. That silly thing just sits there. This is the part where you help me out. Don't make me look crazy. The, uh, wait a minute, let me ask this question. We've got to bring y'all into this. Nobody speak. If anybody speaks, everybody turn and stare at them for 30 seconds, okay? Nobody speak. Just think to yourself. Nobody answer out loud. Can this glove pick up that book? You got your answer? All right. Now's your chance to vote. How many of you, by raising your hand, would say, no, that silly glove can't pick up the book? Okay. Now you have to vote. If you don't vote, you're a coward, you're afraid you're going to be embarrassed because somebody's going to see you be wrong. Can I got news? I got news for you guys. Everyone was saved by admitting we were wrong, by admitting to God, hey, God, this ain't it. My way to true life, eternal life ain't working. I'm wrong. I need you, Okay complete freedom in here. 
So how many of you say, no, that silly glove cannot pick up the book? All right, hands down, and you're not allowed to qualify any answers. How many of you say, yes, the glove can pick up the book? Wow. Y'all got pretty cool gloves at your house. Okay. About, okay, the truth is, it's a trick question, right? Both answers are correct. The glove can't pick up that book. That's silly. But yet it can if da-da-da-da-da. Here's truth number one. Guys, you can no more live a victory life of Christ by simply being told to than that glove can pick up the book by me telling it to. Telling it doesn't get it done. Telling people about Jesus is very important. It's awesome to do. But that alone will not help you live the victory life in Christ. That alone will not keep you in union with Jesus Christ. Telling it to pick up the book, didn't work. I know. That glove must be like my son. I can tell him to clean up his room, but man, I need to explain to him what it means to clean up the room and not just throw the toys in the middle, right? I need to explain it to him. So, glove, this is real simple here. I'm pretty qualified. I've picked up books in my life. So all you do is you're going to take these two fingers, curl them back over your palm. With these three fingers, leave enough gap, get up under the book, apply pressure, and then lift. That simple. The glove can watch my life. The glove has now had an explanation of how to do this. It has seen me walk the walk. It has seen me do it. Fair enough? All right, glove, you've been told that didn't work. I'd explain it to you. You've got a clear explanation. One, two, three. Pick at the book. And the silly thing just lays there. And yet 90% of what we do in buildings like this at home teams and churches is we explain to people, this is how you live for Christ. This is how you serve God. This is how, this is how, this is how. And we spend all this time with the explanation of how do I do this stuff? And we get hung up on what's the right how method I got to follow. You can no more live a victory life for Christ by simply having an explanation than that glove can pick up the book by me explaining how to do it. Okay? All right, so um, uh, telling it didn't work. He must not think of me as a good friend. Um, explaining didn't work. We must not be a good small group that I meet with. We must not be good at it because he's not yet picking up the book. I know what it is. I got it. It must be a passion problem. That glove ain't sold out for Christ. Pfft, that's crazy. Right? right? It's got to be a passion problem. There's got to be some more emotion in this. So this is where you get to help me. Everybody clap your hands like this. Let's be louder than the kids upstairs for once. We can do it. Yeah, come on, glove. Come on, glove. Serving God's the best. Woo-hoo. You can do it. And pick up the book. Pick up the book. I really didn't think my friend was going to make me look like an idiot today. I do enough of that myself. Oh, so wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You ever... You ever, you ever preachers or Christians kind of like this. It's so passionate. It's almost all about the emotion. See, I kind of found something uh, a few weeks ago. It kind of took me back. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus preached between five and 15,000 people, depending on how you do the math. And I'm always imagining this nice superdome and this great sermon, starting off with Beatitudes and preaching to them, right? Mm-mm, I missed the boat. You go to Matthew 5 and you read, right after the crowds come after him, it says he went up onto a mountain. He sat down. When his disciples had come to him, he began to speak. 
And there's nothing in the Greek that shows a strong emphasis or strong annotation like he's shouting. Contrast that to the book of John 7.37. He says, at the, at the last day of the festival, he stood and shouted to all the people, if any who are thirsty, come to me. The Bible actually tells us when he stands and shouts versus when he sits and talks. When he acts like a rabbi and kind of hangs out with disciples and passes lessons on. When he fellowships and has, you know, this small group of believers that he loves and he trusts and he passes a message on through each other. What's wrong if it's only an emotional decision? What happens two weeks after you come back from a, a a retreat getaway? What happens? Nobody's ever been to camp or a retreat. Things go back to normal. Why? I've seen it over and over again, right? And I'm a big fan, of, and please don't take me being a sarcastic with anything here today, because I'm a diehard fan of camps. But so many times we send kids to camp, or we go to camps ourselves, or couples retreats, or whatever it is, and everything is hunky-dory, and it's all great. We almost get the little googly-googlies going back on, right? But what happens two weeks later when I get home? Things go back to normal. If it's an emotional decision, if it's an emotional commitment to Christ, and it's all emotion... You will not be unified. You can no more live the victory life in Christ by simply being emotional about it, having passion, than that glove can pick up the book by being passionate about picking up a book. Okay? Hmm. Not as good as I thought then. Uh, All right, so I told it. I explained to it. I used passion. That didn't quite work. Uh, Maybe uh, I should change the style of clothes I'm wearing or something else and I do it. Mm, What else can I do? What else can I do? I got it. I know this one. I should have known this one. This was me when I first got saved. This glove needs discipline. I mean, look at this ratty thing. Look how flimsy this thing is. I mean, I could kind of just crush it and mold it like a ball, do whatever I want with it. That's what this glove needs. It needs to be whipped into shape. All right, glove. Brother, we are going to get up at 4 a.m. every day and we're going to study our Bible for an hour. We're going to pray four times a day with other people. We're going to check off a box and say, I'm going to witness to at least one person every single day. And I'm going to follow this regiment because I've got my one-year Bible and I'm going to check off every day. That's a pretty good job. He shows me his check sheet. He's been walking this walk. He's doing a great job. He's got real discipline. He's serving God. By all intents and purposes from outside of looking in. All right, glove, six months of strong discipline. You've done great. Pick up the book. Are y'all seeing this? He ain't moving. You seeing this? What is wrong? You know any Christians kind of like this? They're kind of formed by their environment. They kind of change as the seasons or they change with what group of people they're with. There's not enough substance inside to change the environment. Instead, they're being changed by the environment. I'm about ready to throw this out. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And guys, can I tell you? A check sheet, that's great. When your Bible's awesome. I've got one sitting at home beside my bed that I use. Great stuff. But you can no more live the victory life in Christ by having disciplined programs than that glove can pick up the book by simply having some disciplined program that follows won't work. It will not work. Hmm. 
All right, let's see. We're told every day on radios and in churches and listen to sermons. We're told to live Christ, yet I haven't been able to do it. I've seen explanations. I've seen people. We've got some phenomenal Christians in this church that are great godly examples. But I'm still struggling to continue to walk with Christ. I've seen the explanations. I've seen examples. And then I got passionate. I start serving as much as I can, and it still ain't working. And so then I get really dedicated, and I get real disciplined. And I've got my check sheet out, and I'm following it. But I still can't seem to do what God's called me to do. It's wrong. Duh. <laughs> Sorry, y'all couldn't help me with this. I appreciate your help so far. But uh, here's the problem. It's got some stains right there, and it's got a prick in it. This thing's too dirty to serve God. This thing is too dirty to serve God, right? You ever heard the thing he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call? Let's get a new glove. That's the answer. Let's get a clean glove. You can't have sin in your life and serve God. You can't have sin in your life and pick up the book. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, my Bible tells me that when I was saved, I was washed white as snow. Jesus' blood covered my sins. That I am now clean. So we help this glove, right? I get out my pan of water and I soap it up and lather it and I rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. By the way, I don't know anybody that actually does that, at least any guys that do that. I don't know, but anyways. Uh, so I rinse and repeat until I get all the dirt out of it. I hang it out, I kind of get it dry, I take a blow dryer and I comb it so it's not matted. And I go, woohoo! It looks like a brand new glove. Wow! Look how gorgeous you are, glove. Nice new set of clothes. You look almost like you're a Christian. All right, glove, are you ready? One, two, three, pick up the book. Wait a minute. <laughs> is he not clean? Has his sins not been forgiven? Why is he struggling to do a simple task that God has called him to do? Maybe it's not a dirt issue. Maybe I'm not too dirty to serve God. Oh, man, something's going on here. Hmm. Mm. All right. Evidently, I'm not as good at helping people grow in their faith as what I hoped I was. Uh, someone asked for your help here. And on the count of three, you can shout it out. What must I do to pick up the book? I can pick up the book if I... One, two, three. Put your hand inside it. Thank you so much, church. You have been wonderful, and I appreciate it. You can pick up your consulting fee on your way out later on. Thank you. Man, that feels right. Man, I got my hand inside this glove. The day you got saved, you have as much of Jesus Christ in you as you will ever have. Did I not do what you said? Did I put my hand in the glove? And so when I'm like, hey, glove, you look a little different. There's some changes going on. Pick up the book. Hang on. <laughs> you give me enough time. And I may be able to look like I picked up the book somehow. Maybe for a split second, I can balance and hold the book. Maybe for a few minutes, a few days, a few months, I can balance that book. But the truth is, I cannot pick up the book and hold it correctly. Okay? See, we've got to be careful here, guys. We've got to be careful with some of the things that we hold dearly to and that we teach and we portray to the world. What happens when I sin? I feel guilty. I feel really bad. And I regret it. And then I repent. And I'm feeling good again, right? 
And then what happens? I sin again. And then I regret and I repent. And then I feel good about it. And what happens? I sin again. And it becomes this cycle going over and over and over again. It becomes this cycle going over and over and over again. I have Jesus in me. I'm trying to keep myself cleaned up. I'm trying to keep my act cleaned up. But I keep failing. And all we're doing is teaching the world that Christianity is a sinning religion. I can't tell you how many times we've heard testimonies, even in this church, about other countries where I, I loved, uh, was April's a few weeks ago, said there's three things they believe about all Christians. Uh, what was it? One, we sleep with people that's not our wives. Two, we drink all the time. And there was a third one in there or something. And we believed in three separate gods. And that was, that was in Africa. That was their entire view of what Christianity is about. Because they're watching American television. And that's their view because we're a Christian nation. We've got to be careful, guys, what message we communicate, right? So the truth is, guys, this was me. I had Jesus. I knew I had Jesus. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I had Jesus in my heart. And I don't know whether you know, family attests to it or not, but there was a change in me somewhere in college because I got saved. And I got really excited. You know, I am one of those checklist guys and sometimes overachiever on some things. And I got really excited and I started serving at the food bank and I started serving with a couple of campus ministries. And I started reaching out and I was waking up before my 8 a.m. class and I was studying the Bible and I was working hard at this. And I was still struggling with my old life. And this went on and on and on. I couldn't figure it out. I had nobody there to explain to me really what it meant to have flesh spirit explain to me that kind of challenges that dichotomy that happens to be split and finally guys this was me working my butt off and for any of those that kind of think I'm kind of have any the two people here that thinks I'm a manly man I'm gonna go ahead and debunk that myth right now see I went back to my room and with tears running down my face and this is a college age kid right tears running down my face I threw myself on my bed and I cried, and I weeped, and I just cried out. And I said, God, I can't do this. I am trying to serve you. I am picking up your book. I am serving these people. I'm feeding the homeless. I'm doing whatever it takes, but I can't do it. I don't feel life abundant. I don't feel it. God, I keep backsliding or slipping up. I keep sinning again, and it's the same sins. And I was struggling You want to talk about miserable? Try to seek God's face three days a week and seek your flesh the other three days and then you go to church on Sunday and there's a split or something, right? You want to talk about miserable? Try to keep your foot in the boat and out of the boat at the same time. That's just asking for pain. Guys, I was miserable as a Christian. I was miserable as a Christian. That wasn't life abundant. Jesus, you can't be the life. And the truth is, all that work I was doing, because I was supposed to. All those messages I was trying to prepare, because I was supposed to do this. Ain't this what a Christian does? Don't a Christian help people? By golly, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go help somebody. Guys, I was miserable, and I was dying inside. I literally felt like people were staring at me and going, Oh, Derek, your messages are good. And I'm going, if you only knew, if you only knew how much I was struggling inside. I had a, 
somebody I look up to this church in the first service and he come up to me after kind of telling the exact same story and I'm like guys it happens all the time from the outside looking in we have it, our act together we have it all together but we're crumbling apart inside because we look like this we have Jesus but we're missing something very important okay? Jesus is not living in me at this point see I cried out to God and I said God I cannot do it I have tried, I'm reading books by different authors, I'm researching everything, I'm spending time, and I just can't do it. I don't feel this victorious life in Christ. And it's because I was on my own agenda. I wasn't hanging out with my husband. I wasn't hanging out with Jesus. I wasn't in love with Jesus. I was just serving everybody in the name of Jesus. I was just proclaiming his truth in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there going, man, don't get it. And so I cried out on my bed, and I'm crying out to God, and I say, God, help me. I can't do this. I give up. I quit. And being a good father, right? We serve a good God. He won't give me a stone if I ask for bread. I serve this loving father. I fully expected it to be. You know, that's okay, son. Just sleep on it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. It's not what he did. Through the next couple weeks, God began to show me. He goes, woohoo! Finally! I didn't expect anything from you to begin with. I expected you to fail, and you've been doing plenty of that. Guys, all of that work I was doing was in vain because it was out of Derek. It was out of flesh. And when I finally was broken enough, and I finally was ready to throw in the towel, God said, can we talk? You know all that Greek language you've been studying so that you can be smarter and teach lessons? Stop it. You know how you've been reading the Bible so that you can prepare these things so you might be invited to go here so you can check a box on your daily checklist? Stop it. I want you to read the Bible so that my son can be fully formed in you. See, Paul goes on in Galatians 4.19. Next slides. Well, after two slides away, I think. You're perfectly fine. I would not trade jobs with y'all for anything because I saw how many buttons were up there. All right. So truth is, none of those work by themselves. Galatians 4, 19, the next slide. Paul has already wrote to them. They've already become saved. They've already got saved. But he writes to the Galatians. And he says, my children with whom I am again in labor. Whew. Talk about some painful stuff. I'm glad I don't have to do that. I'm getting in labor until Christ is formed in you. In the Greek, there's two words in the New Testament used for form. One is schema, which really means like an external pressure. So you're molding a pot. God is putting circumstances. God is molding your life through circumstances. There's another word, morphe, where we get the word metamorphosis. And it literally means internal transformation. And most scholars say internal character transformation as they turn around. The word used here is the internal transformation. And so Paul was writing to them, guys. And what God was showing me through all this experience, and he's saying, don't read your Bible for the sake of checking a box. Read it so my son can be formed in you. And I'm like, thank you, God. You know how you've been praying so that your will be done? So that you can get things, so that you have a safe life and a happy life, and please bless this effort, and please do this, and da-da-da-da-da. And we turn him into a Santa Claus? God said, stop it. I want you to pray just that my son be formed inside you. I want you to pray just so you have fellowship and a love relationship with my son. You know how you've been going to church 
because I enjoy the people. We've got a good group of people, and we do. We really do. Or because they've got a cool sports team, or because they've got great child care programs, or because of whatever. He said, stop it. I want you to go to church so that each and every time you go with an expectation that you would be formed more and more like my son. That my son could live in you. And then a big one. Because I own my checkbox. I got to share the gospel or share at least some truth of God with one per- at least one person every single day. I read about this uh, pastor doing it and it was uh, pretty cool. So I thought, well, that's what a Christian does. That's what I need to do. So God finally slowed me down. He said, wait a minute, Dad. Do you remember how you've been witnessing every single day? Stop it. But, but, but Jesus, stop it. I want you to walk with me as my bride. I want you to spend time with me. And I never understood this. Those that are married, right? <laughs> and we've only been married like a day, it seems like. Time flies. I can't imagine what happens 20 years from now. But do you hear your wife ever talking and you know what she's going to say before she even says it? Somebody asks a question and you're like, here it comes. You just know. Just because you spend time with it. That can be a good thing, and I can talk about her. She's down at the Gaither concert in Myrtle Beach, so <laughs> nobody tell her. The, uh... Jesus says, come hang out with me. Be my bride. Walk with me. And what happens is, a husband and wife, they start to become one. They start to become unified. And the truths of Jesus just start to come out of you. The truths of Jesus just start to flow out of you and you can't help it. Jesus does the witnessing. I've talked before about the Great Commission and, and the word go. The little means as you are going. As you're being a carpenter, as you're being a fisherman, as you're being an electrician, as you're being a CEO of a company, whatever it is, as you get up and get dressed in the morning, I want you to go. And as you're going, let my son live through you. And guys, I struggled with this. It wasn't like an overnight transformation when God told me that. So I began trying. I began reading his word a little bit. I began still serving some, but I backed off a little bit. And then finally, it was as clear as day. After doing this for a while and a while, I finally heard God. He said, Derek, you ragged, filthy glove. Derek, pick up the book. And it was that easy. And looking back on it, I'm going, there is no way... This is way too cool, by the way. And yes, I still uh, act like a college kid sometimes, but it was way too cool. I remember freezing one time, talking with a friend of mine. He's sitting there telling me all this good stuff going on with the ministry we were working with. I just stopped in my tracks. I'm like, wow, there is no way I could have done this. There's no way I could have followed God like this for two days, let alone two months, let alone two years. God opened up the doors and he came up to me one day. He said, Derek, I need you to go to India. What? I ain't going to India. You're nuts. He come up one day and he said, Derek, that place in India, by the way, that pastor needs to open up an orphanage. I need you and your friends to gather some money so we can get the down payment and get started. What? My money. I'm giving my 10%. You ain't getting any more now. But it was easy. It was easy because God did it. See, guys, the victory life in Christ, it doesn't, it doesn't start just because you have Jesus inside you. You've got to let him be fully formed inside you. All these things, witnessing to people, great. But if you try to reach the two billion people on this earth that's never heard the Jesus, their name of Jesus even once, you're going to get crushed. You ever find Christians that are truly burnt out because they feel like they're serving, serving, serving so much? Man, we've got volunteers at this church that put in lots and lots of hours, lots and lots of heart. They need help. 
Seek God out and say, Lord, what book would you have me to pick up? He'll show you. And so finally, guys, it was so cool. And I will never turn back. I've got a, uh, I've got a good pastor friend. I actually married this uh, Bill Carrier. And uh, we're sitting at McDonald's. We used to do our Bible studies at McDonald's on 70s. And we still meet there. So anybody free, come on. And uh, he was sitting there one day. And he's kind of just grinning like a boss. And I go, Bill, what's on your mind? He goes, you know what? If I die and they bury me in some pine box and that's it, I'm dead, this is all a lie, he goes, I don't care. And we were studying a lot of apologetics on defending the faith at this time, so it was kind of relevant. He goes, I don't care. Because the life he was living for God was the most happiest life he could imagine. He couldn't picture doing anything else. He couldn't imagine living it any other way. And I remember sitting there going, whatever. But over time, as it started sinking in, I was like, well, you know what? I kind of like having the ability to do whatever the hand can do. I kind of like being a ragged glove where the hand does the work, where the hand opens up the doors. And I wouldn't trade it back for anything, guys. I would not trade it back for anything. One big truth that came out, and this is how I know God was truly, truly working that, in, in that little time frame over about six months. I went from being one of the most miserable Christians I could ever find. It was horrible because I was living a lie. To me going, guys, I'm horrible. Leave me alone. I don't need to be serving. And I had some great Christians go, shut up and come on. So God woke me up one day. He woke me up 5.15 in the morning, and he said, Derek, pick up the book. He gave me specific instructions about a group that we were supposed to minister to. A man named Drew Godfrey, a friend of mine who's an acquaintance, not a diehard friend. I would just kind of discard it. You know, it's really weird, God, that you woke me up and for some reason at this time of the morning I'm wide awake and I felt this dying desire to open up my Bible. That's kind of strange, God. Okay, Lord, I hear you. And these people are on my mind and I need to serve and I need to minister to these people. I'm not the Bible study leading type, God. You've got the wrong man. Go meet somebody else. I went to breakfast that morning. Here comes my friend Drew. He walks in and he goes, Derek, you'll never guess what happened. He said, God woke me up this morning. He says like 540 or sometime later, it's like differences, but I don't care. The fact that he could take two people who were not in coercion and he could say, I need you to minister to this people. Drew shows up. He said, God woke me up this morning. Clear as day. He said, I need to do something here. And I'm like, well, what is, what is that something you need to do? Right? Because I'm looking for an excuse to get out of serving God. I'm looking for an excuse to get out of it. And he says, I need you to do something here. I don't know what that something is, but I know I need to. He had this internal desire. I said, I need to do this. And here I am trying my best to fight God. I'm trying my best to go, Lord, that's not me. Don't make me reach out and look like a Jesus freak in front of all this campus. Don't make me look out or look like this crazy person. They've seen me at the fraternity house. They've seen me up here. They've seen me at the games. Don't make me do this. I'll serve you when I graduate. Yeah. God wouldn't have it. And so literally over the next few weeks, he kept drawing us. And for some reason, my and Drew's relationship pinged off like it's never happened before. And we started this ministry. And it was a phenomenal time, guys. And it was phenomenal, not because I did it, but because God did it. And this ragged glove. So everybody gets to pinch their arm. Everybody pinched their arm. If nothing else, you can walk away with a nice bruise today. Everybody gets to pinch their arm. And just remember, guys, that we're nothing but a ragged glove. It's God working and being formed in us that does the work. 
being emotional about it doesn't get people saved for Christ. I can shout louder, it won't get it done. Okay. Serving everybody to the nth degree, 10 days a week, whatever it is, that doesn't do it. It is God that does the saving. It is God's word alone that brings that salvation. It is his spirit that does it, not us. I'm actually going to invite John to slowly make his way back, this, back up here. And I want to pose a question. Is Christ in you? It's a simple question, right? Just a few words. Is Christ in you? Does he live in you? Does he live through you? There's a couple seats you might be sitting in today. Seat number one, you may be sitting here going, Derek, Jesus sounds cool, but I've never felt him inside me. I don't have that confidence that he truly is there. I've got all these questions about it. Can I tell you, today is a day that you can invite him to come into your heart. Revelation 3 says he stands at the door of your heart and knocks. If you will only open up the door, if you will only open up the door, he said he'll come in and dine with you. There's people here that would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you if you want to talk about it. If you want to make that profession of faith today, today's the day that you can come have that settled today, right now, this hour. And start understanding what it's like to have that life abundant. So cool. There's other groups of us. We have Jesus inside us. Perhaps we look more uh, like I used to. We look like this. I know Jesus is in there. I know he's inside me. But for some reason, I can't pick up the book. I want to pick up the book. I love people, I love serving, and I want to serve people for God, but I just can't do it. That's you today. Perhaps you need to find a bed, whether it's this altar, the seat, wherever you're at. And throw yourself on it, cry out to God and say, God, I quit. I give up. I can't do this anymore. God will be, and he'll come out, he'll come down, he'll show himself, and he'll be like, woohoo, finally. God only wants one thing for us, and that's for his son to be formed fully through us. If you would, stand. John leads us through this moment of invitation. Altars open. Feel free as, you, as the Spirit leads you. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.